Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Star Mites. We are the good guys, so nice and polite. But bad guys beware us if you look in the fight. Cause we don't take no lip and we don't take no sass. We're as tough as ocean leather and as bold as brass. We're the star mites, the mighty star mites. We fight for the right and unite to be free. We're the star mites, the mighty star mites. The folks of the future, the future are we. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I do have a few points to address here in the opening segment. First and foremost, regarding rags. I have changed my mind regarding Brave New World and Penny a Tune. Brave New World is, in fact, the stronger of those two numbers. Let it be written in stone. As pointed out by patron Carrie, this is point number two, Judy Kuhn performed twice at the 41st Annual Tony Awards, once as a cast member of Rags, and again with the cast of Les Miserables. How often has this happened? in the broadcast history of the Tony Awards. If anyone knows, I would like to know. Point number three. Thank you to listener Liz for filling me in on the TikTok Ratatouille musical. Are you kidding me? I love everything about the TikTok Ratatouille musical. It is purely wonderful. It is a purely wonderful object and a testament to the craft of songwriting. There are so many amazing songwriters just out there in the world, not to mention actors, choreographers, and designers. And point number four, fourth of four. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. A problematic holiday, sure, but we all deserve a nice break, don't we? We deserve a moment to be thankful for who we are, what we have been able to do in this difficult time, and we deserve a moment to express our gratitude and thanks for all of the people who helped us get through this time, the people that mean the world to us. So thank you to Patty and Benny, of course, who helped this show to Operate like a finely tuned steamship. Toot toot! <laughs> Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Benny, as always. I do not know what I would do without you and your support. And so we will move on to the show facts. Show me the show facts regarding Starmites. Okay. Starmites was a 1989 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 27th, 1989 at the Criterion Center Stage Right and ran for 60 performances. The book was written by Barry Keating and Stuart Ross, and the music and lyrics were by Barry Keating, with additional music and lyrics by Frida Williams. Per Barry Keating's bio, his credits include the book for Jim Henson's Muppet Baby's Magic Box. I looked this up. It's apparently a live-action touring show that ran in the late 80s. Barry's credits also include the score for a show called The Slick of 76, a musical catastrophe, as well as a musical version of Shakespeare's Pericles, and a show called Hollywood Opera, a, quote, 
cabaret of mini-musicals based on impossible-to-musicalize movies, quote. Stuart Ross's credits include The Books Four, Forever Plaid, and Fun with Dick and Jane. The director of the original Broadway production of Starmites, Larry Carpenter. Musical director, Henry Aronson. Choreographer, Michelle Ossoff. Scenic design, Lowell Detweiler. Lighting design, Jason Kantrowitz. Sound design, John Kilgore. Costume design, Susan Hirschfeld. And the original Broadway cast included, I do believe this might be the entire cast list, actually. Here we go, Janet Aldrich. Gabriel Barr, Bennett Kale, Victor Trent Cook, John Michael Flate, Ariel Grabber, Brian Elaine Green, Liz Larson, Mary Kate Law, Sharon McKnight, Rick Ryder, Gwen Stewart, Frida Williams, and Christopher Zelno. Tony Nods. Okay, so the show was nominated for Best Musical, but it was also nominated for Best Actor in a Musical, Gabriel Barr, Best Actor in a Musical, Brian Lane Green, Best Actress in a Musical, Sharon McKnight, Best Choreography, Michelle and Best Direction of a Musical, Larry Carpenter. So, six nominations, zero awards at the end of the night. A lot of zero award shows lately. <laughs> Hopefully, in the near future, we can talk about a show that actually won some Tony Awards. That would be nice. Well, let's talk about the plot, shall we? Yes. The following plot summary is based on a reading of Stuart Ross and Barry Keating's original book. You will never find a more thorough Starmite's synopsis than the one you are about to hear. Those found on Wikipedia and Guide to MusicalTheater.com pale in comparison to our breakdown. Am I experiencing a breakdown? Maybe. Let's begin. Oh, actually, can we play some space music under this week's plot summary? Space music? Wonderful. Brilliant. Okay. Eleanor Fairchild is a shy teenage girl who is obsessed with her comic book collection. As the curtain rises, we find her poring over Volume 17, Issue 1295 of Starmites, which chronicles a battle between our titular heroes and Chakra, High Priest of Chaos. Prophecy states the only person capable of defeating Chakra and restoring peace to the dimension of inner space is Milady, a young woman who has been in hiding for years. Milady and Chakra are destined to face each other shortly before the Obsidian Eclipse, and when the Starmites accidentally reveal Milady is residing on Earth, Chakra vows to find her, kill her, and purge inner space of all remaining life. Eleanor's fantasies are shattered when her mother appears to make a terrible announcement. It is time for Eleanor to grow up and face reality, and to that end, she must donate her entire comic book collection. Eleanor is shell-shocked. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have a life. The only thing in the world that matters to her are the characters and stories found in her collection. Eleanor's mother is unmoved. Heartbroken, Eleanor begins to pack up her comics, only to find herself in yet another fabulous fantasy. She can't help it, really. The promise of adventure is too alluring. But when Chakra and his droid army appear in Eleanor's bedroom, the line between fantasy and reality ceases to exist. Overwhelmed with terror, Eleanor finds she can do little more than scream as Chakra 
ties her to a slab. It would appear our teenage heroine's fate has been sealed. But wait, someone is coming to her rescue. Why, it's Space Punk, Captain of the Starmites. Chakra traps the young man in a Vader-like chokehold, and in a moment of desperation, Eleanor's body is overtaken by the spirit of none other than Milady. Milady uses her awesome power to save Space Punk and sends Chakra packing for the time being. Huzzah! Upon coming to her senses, Eleanor is understandably confused, as are we all. How can any of this be real? Space Punk explains that Oragala, goddess of inner space, once declared the Starmites would meet and assist Milady in her conflict with Chagra. It would appear that fateful day has arrived. Eleanor refuses to believe this ridiculous story, and when Space Punk attempts to comfort her with a kiss, the spirit of Milady freezes him in his tracks. Enter the remaining members of the Starmite's Brotherhood. Herbie Harrison, organized and methodical. Dazzle Razzledorf, the bumbling show-off. And Ak Ak Ackerman, the group's second-in-command and resident tough guy. The Starmites are understandably wary of Eleanor in the face of her abilities. But once the air has been cleared, they implore her to join them on their quest. Eleanor reluctantly agrees and is designated Crusader First Class in the Eternal Order of Starmites. Huzzah! Mere seconds later, Eleanor and the Starmites rescue a lizard-like creature named Trinculus from a nearby trap. Trinculus is a wandering minstrel who once served as Chakra's slave, and he has vital information that could turn the tide of this great space war. Most residents of inner space already know the key to victory lies in the cruelty, a musical instrument of unimaginable power. Duh, doy, everyone knows that. Chakra invented the cruelty, but it was stolen from him, hidden away by the wise goddess Oragala, da 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 doy. If Eleanor were to find and wield the cruelty, it would spell doom for Chakra and the forces of darkness. On the flip side, if the cruelty were to return to Chakra, Eleanor would not stand a chance. Trinculus has recently learned of the cruelty's location, Shriekwood Forest, home of the Banshees and Diva, leader of the Banshees and mighty queen of inner space. The idea of venturing into Shriekwood Forest scares a majority of the Starmite brothers, but Space Punk encourages them to remain courageous. Upon their arrival, Trinculus panics upon hearing strange voices in the distance. Space Punk instructs the group to stay put while he locates the lizard and scouts Castle Nemesis, the Banshee stronghold. He leaves Eleanor in charge, a decision that annoys the well-meaning yet undeniably chauvinist Starmites, and they choose to ignore her instructions. The spirit of Milady overtakes Eleanor once more, and she lulls the Starmites to sleep with a lullaby. Eleanor succumbs to exhaustion, and the group is soon overtaken by Shotzi, Balbraca, Cannibal, and Maligna, otherwise known as the Banshees. Meanwhile, Space Punk and Trinculus infiltrate Castle Nemesis and are about to retrieve the cruelty when Diva and the Banshees make their grand entrance. Note, the actress who plays Eleanor 
Thor's mother also plays Diva. At first, the almighty Diva is uninterested in working with our heroes. She believes the spirit of Milady seeks to usurp her throne, and thus decides to submit Eleanor to Diva's section. But when Chakra makes an appearance within the halls of Castle Nemesis, Diva quickly changes her tune. The prophecy states Chakra's destruction will come about if a human male marries a banshee princess, and seeing as the Starmites are all human males, it stands to reason one of them should marry Diva's daughter, the awkward and neurotic Princess Bizarbara. Note, the actress who plays Eleanor also plays Bizarbara. Chakra makes another appearance to sneer at Diva's plan, but she is unfazed. The marriage shall commence. Space Punk, having narrowly avoided Diva upon her arrival, finds himself free to explore Castle Nemesis. He rescues Eleanor from the confines of the mortuary, and they confess their love for one another via song. Trinculus arrives to relay news of Diva's marriage plot, and Space Punk instructs Eleanor to meet the Starmites later that night. We crossfade to the Great Hall, where Bizarbara is forced to perform the conuptial dance of spousal arousal for each of the Starmites. The results are disastrous. It would seem Bizarbara will never find a match, but when Space Punk shows up to save the day, his bravery and loyalty captures her heart in an instant. Space Punk is at a loss. He doesn't want to marry Bizarbara, but if he rejects her, it will mean a lifetime of torture for his Starmite brothers. In the end, he agrees to the proposal, and Eleanor is left feeling heartbroken and utterly alone. To make matters worse, she is captured once more by the Banshees. As Act 2 begins, Diva and the Banshees make haste to ensure Bizarbara's wedding goes off without a hitch. Unfortunately, Space Punk finds he cannot go through with the ceremony. He loves Eleanor and Eleanor alone. Diva freezes the Starmites and retreats to the chambers of Psycho Sorcery. She then proceeds to cast a spell on Bizarbara, one that will allow her to look exactly like Eleanor. Our heroine does her best to resist with help from the spirit of Milady, but they prove no match for Diva and the cruelty. The spell is cast! Diva and Bizarbara make their way back to the Great Hall and trick Space Punk into believing he is now free to marry Eleanor. Trinculus steps forward to make a request. Would it be possible for him to serenade the lovers with a song played? on the cruelty? He is a wandering minstrel, after all. Diva is disgusted by the lizard, but agrees to the idea at the behest of Bizarbara. Trinculus takes hold of the cruelty. Trinculus performs a rock and roll anthem that puts everyone in a trance. And when the moment is just right, Trinculus makes a startling confession. He is, in actuality, Chakra! He grabs Bizarbara, believing her to be Eleanor, and escapes so that he may finally kill his sworn enemy. Diva, the Starmites, and the real Eleanor are left in a state of shock. Is this the end? No! They agree to team up and do whatever it takes to rescue Bizarbara and defeat Chakra once and for all. Crossfade to an enormous sacrificial pit. Chakra reveals to our heroes that, as a lizard, he was mocked and despised even by his own mother. Those days have come to an end. Once the woman he believes to be Eleanor is thrown into the pit, it will mean the end of peace and harmony throughout all of inner space. Bizarbara is struck by a realization. If Chakra were to throw the wrong person into the sacrificial pit, he would lose all hope of victory. She exposes her true identity 
Kennedy to Chakra and hurls herself into the molten lava, dying instantly. For Space Punk, for Diva, for anyone who has ever known love, Chakra is pissed. He does his best to destroy Eleanor using the cruelty, but it's no use. Eleanor is working with the spirit of Milady. They are one! And more importantly, they have discovered love is more powerful than any villain. Bizarbara proved it, don't you know? Overwhelmed, Chagra falls into the sacrificial pit. Huzzah! If you think we've come to the end of our tale, just hold tight. One of the Banshees, Shotzi, is suddenly possessed by Goddess Oragala. As it turns out, Oragala switched Eleanor and Bizarbara at birth. Eleanor is, in actuality, a Banshee princess, and Bizarbara is of Earth. What's more, the so-called sacrificial pit is actually a portal between worlds. Bizarbara is not dead. She is merely back on Earth where she belongs. And seeing as the prophecy tells of a marriage between a banshee princess and a human male, it only makes sense that Eleanor and Space Punk should now be wed. Truly love conquers all. Huzzah! P.S. Diva and the Banshees are actually Starmites who forgot about their heritage because they were corrupted in the presence of the cruelty? I don't fucking know. Crossfade to Earth, where Bizarbra is reunited with her biological mother. All would appear to be well, but who is that hiding behind the bed? Oh my god, it's Chakra! The portal transported him to Earth as well. Can you say sequel? I don't think so. 60 performances, I don't think so. Per Wikipedia, there are actually three versions of the show that are available for licensing. Starmite's Light, that's L-I-T-E, which is intended for elementary and middle school performers, Starmite's High School, and Starmite's Pro, which is intended for professional theaters. Please do not confuse those editions of Starmites with any of the following. Classic Starmites, Starmites Life, Starmites Max, Diet Starmites, Starmites Zero Sugar, Starmites Code Red, Starmites Baja Blast, Starmites Voltage, Red Velvet, Starmites Mississippi Mud Pie, Starmites, or Starmites Assault Energy. These have all been discontinued as of late 2011, and anyone found staging these editions of Starmites will be fined by Samuel French, so now you know. For the purposes of this week's episode, I sat down with the 1998 original cast album, which features several members of the original Broadway cast, and I watched the 1989 Tony Awards performance of the song Starmites and the song Diva. I would like someone to figure out how many Best Musical nominees Angela Lansbury has introduced over the course of her career. I'm pretty sure she's introduced something like the last three to five shows we've covered here on the podcast. To be clear, that's perfectly alright by me. Angela Lansbury can make any show sound appealing, even Starmites. Trinculus the Lizard is, without a doubt, the most repellent creation in the history of Broadway. Trinculus crawled his way out of a cursed production of Edward Albee's Seascape. Trinculus is simultaneously flaky and clammy. Trinculus would appear to subsist on a diet of cold swamp water and severed feet. If Trinculus showed up on my doorstep, I would burn him alive. I hate him.
Susan Hirschfield's costumes and Lowell Detweiler's scenic designs are seemingly inspired by The Wiz, as would the number Diva, which is basically no bad news, with a white woman standing center stage. I don't mean to dismiss Sharon McKnight's performance as Diva. She's doing a fine job with the material. I would say everyone is doing their best to infuse Starmites with pep, but the overall effect is that of a Universal Studios theme park show, one of those 23-minute fever dreams where everyone involved is a little bit too talented and losing their minds with each passing moment. <laughs> this is the ninth time I've done this show today, and it's not even noon. Uh, da, 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 da. Please remember to validate your parking with Beetlejuice on the way out and or Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> the YouTube upload of this performance ends with Nell Carter strolling on stage to present an award for best lighting design. She begins to sing Mean to Me from Ain't Misbehavin', only to be thrown off by the looming presence of the Starmites set. It's a decent joke, I have to say. Eh, it's, it's okay. The joke is okay. Seeing Nell Carter wear a feathered boa, that's what I like. That's what Daddy likes. And finally, I read the 1989 book by Stuart Ross and Barry Keating, which is available via the Chicago Public Library System. Hello! It came just in time for me to do a thorough reading. It's what our plot summary is based on. You already know this. Here are a few key lines from the script that I wrote down. I translated Inscribed some key lines for you. You're welcome. Let's see, near the beginning of the show, Eleanor says, quote, For it is prophesied that only Milady could destroy Chakra and save the Earth from drought, pestilence, famine, and tabloid TV. Quote, <laughs> Moments later, in the same scene, Eleanor says to her mother, quote, He knows I'm here! He's coming for me! Quote. And in response, Eleanor's mother says, quote, Oh dear, I saw something like this on the Donahue show. I hope this is just a phase, quote. Here is a collection of lines from all of the Starmites that I've put together as one little mini monologue. This is how they feel about the Banshees. They have a lot of stereotypes regarding the Banshees, quote, But punk, Shriekwood's crawling with Banshees! Banshees! Our sworn enemies! Weird, weird women with dangerous hairdos! Notorious for surrounding unsuspecting youths in the desolate gloom, ripping our supple teen flesh with their jungle red talons, quote. Supple teen flesh? I don't know if we need the phrase supple teen flesh in this show, thank you. Oh, here's an exchange between Trinculus and Space Punk. This exchange comes shortly after their arrival at Castle Nemesis. So we start with Trinculus, who says, quote, Trink be scared, master, quote. And Space Punk says in response, quote, Castle Nemesis be creepazoidal, Trink, quote. Oh, boy. Would you like to hear a line from Diva, Queen of Inner Space? Of course you would. Quote, Do my eyes deceive me, or am I truly viewing humans of the boy persuasion, chock full of innocent life fluids? Quote. Do we really need the phrase innocent life fluids in this family show for kids? Ah, uh, do we? I don't think so. Oh my god, so just prepare yourself for this next joke. It's it's gonna knock you on your ass. Dazzle says to Diva, quote, Excuse me, your esteemed ship, quote. And Diva says in response, quote, Don't call me a steamship, quote. Excuse me, your esteemed ship, don't call me a steamship. 
<laughs> yeah, let's see, what else do we got here? What other wonderful nuggets do we have here? Oh, okay, so at one point, Herbie says to Diva, quote, Please, your butchness, quote. And then later on, Dazzle says to Diva, quote, Please, your obesity, quote. It's funny because she's fat. <laughs> Here's an exchange between Diva and Chakra. Diva begins by saying to Chakra, quote, Spare me the braggadocio slime, for my daughter shall wed a human, yea, one of the stalwart youths whose very existence will make you rue the day you were born, quote. And in response, Chakra says, quote, Well, wicky-wacky-woo, quote. Oh, here is a series of lines from Eleanor. I'm going to cite the page numbers. So, Eleanor on page 12. Everyone laughs at me. Eleanor, page 19. Please don't make fun of me. Eleanor, page 21. Even in my fantasies, people make fun of me. Eleanor, page 21. You just need somebody to laugh at. Eleanor's a great character. The book also includes a fairly in-depth history of the Starmites and the Banshees. None of this information is found in the proper text of the musical, mind you. It has simply been provided for our reference. Here is a section I pulled from the history of the Banshees. Quote, Banshees are not human. They are creatures, a kind of winged animal bird-like, dangerous. They are instinctive. Sense of smell and touch dominate. Their ad-lib reactions should be feral, extremely intense, as should be their concentration when listening in scenes. Their screams should not be human screams. Create something beautifully bizarre. Their ritual gestures should not be designed to be funny. We must sacrifice easy giggles from from the audience for decorum, gravity, awesomeness. Think powerful and graceful and mysterious. They are not witches and shouldn't fall into cliche witchiness. Quote. All right, we get it. Jesus Christ. Goodbye, oh comic books. The love affair is ending. Adieu to the Stanley, D.C. and Dell. Though it's been fun, the time has come to stop pretending. All dreams must end, so my super friends... I'm 
not sure if it's because I recently watched Velvet Buzzsaw, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a poisonous art critic, or the various contributions to the TikTok Ratatouille musical, which routinely reference the equally poisonous Anton Ego, but I felt the need to speak on the art of criticism at the top of this week's deconstruction. I can't promise it will be eloquent, a la Mr. Ego, but it will be coming from a place of honesty, not a small promise. Finding fault in the work of others is easy, and I do not take pleasure in it. As I have said in the past, The Musical Man was never meant to be a variation on the angry video game nerd format. I am not a fan of that format. And if this podcast were to devolve into gleefully immature takedowns, I would not blame anyone for unsubscribing. You deserve better, and I aim to deliver carefully reasoned analysis on a weekly basis. I also try to be positive whenever I can, if only out of deference to all of the people who work on these musicals. Do I like Starmites? No. And I don't mean to hedge or apologize for that response, but attention must be paid to those who strove so hard to bring it to Broadway. They had good intentions and dedicated God knows how many hours to ensure its success. People cared so much. I just don't want anyone to think I've forgotten that truth, that fact. It may escape me from time to time, but I hope to never totally forget it. Are we understood? I am a good boy, fair and true. Fabulous. Superhero Girl is not my cup of tea, and that's about as kind a statement I can make. I could stop there, but I do wish to say more. Uh, listening to Superhero Girl made me want to hide under the covers. It was an awkward and embarrassing experience, and God love Liz Larson, but she was nearly 30 when Starmite's premiered on Broadway, and nearly 40 when the cast album was recorded. No one should have directed her to try and sound like a kid. Eleanor is a teenager. Why are we going out of our way to make her sound like a fourth grader? Hire teenagers to play teenagers. Do not hire grown women to play teenagers. Do not ask them to deliver their lines as if they are appearing on Barney and Friends. Kids can tell when you're talking down to them, and so I would try to avoid doing so whenever possible. I have come to a decision regarding the main Starmite's theme, and it's that I sort of enjoy the main Starmite's theme. Would I go out of my way to rescue the sheet music from a raging forest fire? No, but I would sing the melody for children during my travels across the wasteland. The children, they will come to me in their filthy rags, and they will ask me to sing for them. Make us the song song of the Starmites, Starmite's man! And I will do so, if only to avoid being murdered by their boomerangs and truncheons. Starmites! The mighty Starmites! Oh, how the children will smile and laugh in the face of my recitation. I will say to them, you know, this song is very much in the style of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. And when the children murder me in a fit of deranged confusion, I will be grateful. I will welcome death as a friend. I do not welcome Trinculus as a friend. That will never happen. Trinculus robbed a cheesecake factory in Philadelphia. Trinculus has been asking way too many questions about QAnon. Trinculus is hiding in the vents when we masturbate. I hate him. Are we men or mites? Come on. Get brave. When you walk into darkness and you walk into night, better put by your troubles, better put by your fright. Cause you wanna go forward and you know 
it's the wrong time to look back. Yes, it may be a long time till you see the light, but you'll see the light. Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. You're gonna see the light. It'll take a whole lot more than a shadow to scare you. It'll take a whole lot more than an idle threat to give you a fright. It'll take a whole lot more than that to make you uptight. You've got the power, this is the hour. You're gonna see the light. Yeah! Listening to space punk scat like Michael Jackson wasn't a... A traumatic experience by any means, but it did force me to grapple with the time-space continuum. And I gotta tell you, that was a trip. Well, here I am, in a room on a planet that's conducive to life, listening to space punk scat like Michael Jackson. Millions of years of precise evolution have led to this exact moment. Afraid of the Dark is inoffensive and completely pointless, an injection of song and dance where none is needed. The number doesn't advance the story, and it certainly doesn't accomplish much in the way of character development, so why is it here? This is a sci-fi adventure story. The sky is quite literally the limit in terms of where we can go and what we can sing about. I don't need an extended riff on lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I also don't need to hear Eleanor spouting aphorisms from the late 80s book of feminism. I'm as brave as any boy. Don't you dare patronize. Don't you treat me like a toy. Little man, I'll put you wise. I got hoods but a spare. With your macho, you bore me. boys and I may be a girl, but I'm not a girly girl. You got that? So don't treat me like one, okay? I both aspire to and detest the standards set by men. Like, fair enough, Eleanor. We're all just trying to get through this in one piece. trying to remain positive, but Attack of the Banshees marks a steep downturn in quality when it comes to the music. I understand not every show can afford a full orchestra, and sometimes you need to rely on digital instruments, but Oh, this simply isn't Broadway. No element of this track sounds real in the sense of one musician playing one instrument. And as a result, the official cast album winds up sounding more like a demo recording. Barry Keating's lyrics fare no better, I'm afraid. He's choosing to work in the shadow of Stephen Sondheim and Gilbert and Sullivan, but the results sound more like Dime Store Dr. Seuss or Lewis Carroll. Oh, he wishes he was Lewis Carroll. Why use 
one rhyme payoff when you can use five? Why allow your lyrics to breathe when you can pack as much wordplay as possible into every bar of music? Sure, audiences may not understand what anyone is saying, but they'll be impressed nonetheless. Oh, will they? Here's a good example of what I'm talking about. Quote, Hey, diddle dinkity poppity pet, we'll teach them a lesson they'll never forget. We'll squash them and squish them like fish in a net. They'll wrangle and wriggle and sizzle and sweat. Quote, there is too much going on here. Call me picky all you want, but fish in a net are not squashed or squished. You might very well wriggle and sweat if you were trapped by banshees, but you would not sizzle, and you certainly would not wrangle. To wrangle means to herd, or have a long and complicated dispute. We need fewer, more carefully chosen words, Mr. Keating. Mr. Keating! My husband, Chris, is an enormous fan of Tina Turner. Miss Turner and Donna Summer serve as his musical pillars. So if he is willing to co-sign my theory regarding this diva number, that is all I need to rest easy at night. Here is my theory. Diva is a ripoff of Tina Turner's Proud Mary, especially in how Sharon McKnight relates to her backup singers. say more, the call and response, the punctuated da-doot-doot-doots, oh my god, I mean, I'm not saying we should throw the book at Mr. Keating, but there's a reason why Diva works as well as it does, and it is not because of Mr. Keating. I rest my case. I rest my case. She's above me, far above me, but someday I hope she'll learn to love me. She's my lady, someday she's gonna be my girl. She's his lady, my and someday lady. she will be his girl. She's his lady, and someday she will be his girl. When she went away, I felt so bad, I cried. If she doesn't come back, She may be mad at me, so don't we remind her. She's my lady, someday she's gonna be my girl. The Lady is a solid C-plus of a song. It's a gentleman's six. Would I rather listen to One Night from Wonderland? Oh, absolutely. One Night from Wonderland is an underrated bop that slaps. It's a bop that slaps. But we're not here to talk about One Night from Wonderland. We're here to talk about Milady from Starmites. Mr. Keating, I do have a few notes for you. Let's try to bump this grade up a bit, shall we? Starpunk makes at least two references to feeling 
Hi, and that seems inappropriate for a family musical. One reference is an anomaly, two is a pattern. You also use the word dainty twice? I doubt that was a true choice. Finally, we need to address your relationship with feminism because, from what I can tell, it is troubled. You have Starpunk saying something like, I may not know what patronizing chauvinism means, but I know it's bad! What is the point of this joke, Mr. Keating? Was that one of Stuart's ideas? Should I be talking to Stuart? Do me a favor, Mr. Keating. Get rid of the joke and have Mr. Stuart come talk to me, Mr. Stuart! There's a crazy little ditty that's been bopping around. It'll really hypnotize you with its magical sound. It'll make you do all kinds of things you never did do. So dance to the music of the cruelty. Ooh, the cruelty. 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 Now shake, 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 bump and bop. Now shake, 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 to the rhythm of the cruelty. Uh, okay, so this one time Trinculus called me on the phone to say that when my mother and father get together, they call it making love. But when Trinculus and my mother get together, they call it having sex. Oh my God, it was the worst phone call I have ever had in my life. So you'll have to forgive me for not getting a lot of pleasure out of the Cruelty Stomp, a song that makes room for a strain of surfer rock while riffing on Minnie the Moocher. Sorry not sorry, Trinculus. And this is starting to sound a little like the angry video game nerd. Well, all bets are off when it comes to Trinculus. I hate him. Girl, can't you see it? Everything you need is right there inside you. You can fight and win with the strength of your own will. I knew it all the time. And when you face your fears, we'll be pulling for you every step of the way. But child, there's one thing you've got to do for yourself. one tent revival gospel numbers in the canon of musical theater, and Reach Right Down is certainly one of them. It's okay. It's average. It's long. My newly defined patience threshold is officially four minutes, so if your song is longer than four minutes, those had better be four amazing minutes. Is this the sort of carefully reasoned analysis Jonathan was promising us earlier? You really shouldn't be talking during the podcast. It's very rude. Oh no, inner space. Chakra has captured the Banshees and the Stormites and Space Punk. I've got to save them. You already have. Be at peace, Bazaar. You are where you belong. But I... I... You closed your eyes and maybe then You sailed to another world and back again But please... It was just 
playing cynical gotcha games all the live long day. Wow, I am defensive this week. Holy moly. But there is only one musical that gets to end with a young girl saying, but it wasn't a dream. And that is, huh? Yes, The Wizard of Oz, of course, baby. There is no room at the top of that mountain, you maniacs. Judy Garland has been living on the top of that mountain since 1939. You cannot afford the rent. All right, that's enough. Oh, that's enough when it comes to talking about Starmites and its score. Let's hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678 Coffee! sitting down with me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, what have you two seen recently? Have you been able to see any shows? What an unusual question. Oh, let's see. Uh, I saw the 999th performance of Kinky Boots on Broadway. Yeah. I saw Hamilton. I saw Hamilton. You went? Yeah, oh, I went. Oh, I went. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hear it's awesome. I gotta go. I've been wanting to go. And what would you say is your perfect theater night out? She's talking again? Apparently. Oh, my God. Yakety yak. Don't talk back. I mean, do you do you go out to dinner beforehand or after so you can talk about the production? No, I like to go before because it's not good to eat late. We're both old. Lauren Hutton told me in the 80s that you could eat anything you want, but don't eat anything after 6 o'clock, and then you keep all the weight off. Do you still do that? I try, but it's very hard, because nobody eats before 6 o'clock. And then if you do, and you go to the restaurant, you're with a really lot of old people. I love an early dinner. Early bird special, and it's cheaper, too. It is? Yeah, of course. I go to that early bird special in Connecticut. It's not more expensive? No. You get that early bird special Oh my god, oh my god. You get the sirloin tips and the 5678 coffee. I must be going to the wrong places. I was wondering, do you. Honey, the Tony Award winners are talking, okay? See, I do love a nice cup of 5678. It's just the really lot of old people I hate. Ah, understandable. Connecticut is positively infested with them. Bunch of closeted Republicans, the whole lot of them. Terrible. The worst. I did want to ask. Shush! You know what I do with the old people? I throw my knives at them. Oh my god, you do at the restaurant? Oh yeah. That's awesome. I do the same thing. You do? Oh my god. Yeah, I just keep asking the waiter for extra knives and oh they don't god. say nothing. Oh my god, we're out of our minds. I love it. Is that true? Is what true? The knives? Yeah. Oh, of course it's true. Listen, don't talk to her like that. You know you're being very rude. I never exaggerate, I'll have you know. I really do hate really old people. I mean, I like some old people, I suppose. I wouldn't throw a knife at Paul Schaefer. I just do it because it's a gas. Harvey, you crack me up. You're funnier than Slimer from the movie Ghostbusters. Hey, can you believe the awesome book this guy wrote? My book? 
world. What are we talking about? My God, we should be talking about your music, your lyrics. Nah, I got a better idea. Let's throw knives at this reporter. I would rather you not. I'm not sure what I've done to offend either of you. Quiet, Boomer. You're a Boomer now. Take this, Boomer, and that. Yeah, this one's for David. This one's for Tracy. And this one's for Mulan. Hey, what gives? We keep missing this broad. What are you, Slimer from the movie Ghostbusters? This chick's a freaking ghost. You do have terrible aim, I should say. I say we eat her up. Who, the reporter? Yeah. Harvey, you are speaking my language, brother. Chop, chop, chop. Yeah, yum, yum, yum. I'm eating you. And I am also eating you. You're not, but it's quite charming. I know. Ain't we stinkers? All right. Well, that one definitely made contact. (laughs) Say, where's the crapper in this dump? Final thoughts regarding Starmites. I would like you to keep Starmites in mind when people insist original musicals are inherently better than those based on established IP. Original musicals do not exist in a vacuum. They are just as influenced by the surrounding culture as any other work of art, and we should neither approach them with our claws out nor handle them with kid gloves. Musicals based on books, movies, TV shows, and plays can be brilliant, crummy, or something in between, and the same goes for those that claim to stand on their own two feet. You want to riff on Tina Turner, The Wizard of Oz, and Cab Calloway? Fine, but we deserve better results than Starmites. Oh, also, Trinculus can be spotted in the background of no less than nine Girls Gone Wild videotapes. Nine. Trinculus sold black tar heroin to Ben Shapiro. Trinculus has had a lot of rough sex with Slenderman, and he will not shut up up about it. I hate him. It's like we get it, Trinculus. You bought him for Slenderman. Good for you. No one's keeping score. Now, in 1989, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Jerome Robbins Broadway, and the only other show nominated that season was Black and Blue. I certainly don't think Starmites is worthy of the Tony Award for Best Musical, and I have no real reference for Black and Blue at this point, so Jerome Robbins' Broadway, you get to keep your medallion for now. That's fine. It's fine. Let's rank Starmites against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast, as a reminder, if you follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod, if you go to our likes, if you click on the first tweet you find there in that like section, you will be taken to a Google Sheet. If you click on the second tab, you will find this complete ranking of all of the musicals we've talked about here. If, if, if. A lot of ifs. Ah, do it, baby! So where does Starmites fall on the list? Starmites will fall and land in the number 72 slot, right between Crazy For You at number 71 and Swinging On A Star at number 70. When it comes to show-related ephemera, I found out that Sharon McKnight has a YouTube channel, and on that YouTube channel, she covers poor unfortunate souls from The Little Mermaid. So, let's hear a bit of her cover of Poor Unfortunate Souls, which was uploaded to YouTube on April 21st, 2020. Let's hear that now. Before the sun sets on the third day, you've got to get dear old Princey to kiss you. If you do, you'll stay human forever. And if I don't? Nothing drastic, darling, I'm sure. Oh, look! Small print! Your soul is mine forever, and you're doomed to spend eternity in my watery hell-soaked lair. Lawyers, don't you just love them? Come on, you! 
I'm a very busy woman and I haven't got all day. It won't cost much, just your voice. You poor fortunate soul, it's sad but true. If you want to cross a bridge, my sweet, you've got to pay the toll. Take a gulp and take a breath and go ahead and sign the scroll. Flotsam, jetsam, now I've got her. Boys, the boss is on a run. You poor unfortunate soul. Oh, well, there you go. I should also say that Sharon's YouTube channel includes a lot of joke-telling. Not stand-up comedy, necessarily, just Sharon McKnight stepping in front of a camera, telling an old-fashioned joke, a straight-up joke, and then walking off camera. There are at least half a dozen, if not more, examples of her joke-telling, and if you want to wade into those waters, you are free to do so. This is a free country, for the time being. Oh my god, keep your fingers crossed. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show. I left my baby's diapers in the limousine. Everyone ready? Then away we go. see where we landed. Okay, the year is 1965. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran for 568 performances. The name of that musical, Golden Boy. That is going to be the subject of our next episode. I will actually be taking a week off from the main feed for Thanksgiving, so this episode will drop on Wednesday, December 9th. We will see you on Wednesday, December 9th, baby. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate $1, 3 5 or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a weekly verbal shout-out. Thank you so much, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Ah, but we're not done. $1 a month tier donors also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Alive, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, and John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. We have two episodes, two bonus episodes dropping today. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, they are dropping today. One of them is in regards to Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and the other is in regards to Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. One dollar a month to your donors also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and all of the episodes we have released so far from the series M3, The Movie Musical Man. That series returns December 23rd, it's true. Now, let's talk about the 
the $3 a month tier. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, and a special episode all about Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. That's what we did with Starmites. Our most recent patron, Anton, wanted us to talk about Starmites, and so we did. You also get All I Ask of You, Seasons 1 and 2. Season 2 is currently running. That is an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You also get access to our Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. That is a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a special series all about Broadway musicals that were snubbed when it comes to the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were never nominated for that award. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. If we can get to the point where we have 65-star reviews, we have 34 right now, if we can get to 60, I will record and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. It's true. Remember when we had a special episode all about Disney's Descendants trilogy? Well, this is very much in the same ballpark, baby. Baseball. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're doing it through Spotify, thank you. If you're doing it through Stitcher, thank you. If you're doing it through Podbean, Muse, musicalmanpod.podbean.com Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod. Email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, but you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting, comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off finishing, and good night. Saw Hamilton. I saw you Hamilton. went? Yeah, oh, it's I, awesome. Oh, I gotta I go. Oh, my God. I know. I've been I'm wanting to go, go before that. Oh. What is your kind of perfect theatre night out? Do you go for dinner beforehand? Do you go afterwards so you can talk about the production? No, I like to go before because it's not good to eat late. We're both old. No, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren Hutton told me in the 80s that it, you could eat anything you want, but don't eat anything after 6 o'clock. And then you keep all the weight off. Do you still do that? I try, but it's very hard because nobody eats before 6 o'clock. And then if you do, when you go to the restaurant, you're with a really lot of old people. people. And it's it's, it's cheaper, too. It is? It's cheaper, too. Yeah, I go to that early bread special. Really? Because for me, it's not. It's like it's more expensive to have them. You go to the early bread special. Oh, my God. You get the (laughs) sirloin tips. (laughs) 